Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Well, nothing Tom does surprises me. He's a great player. Works hard, takes care of himself. I mean, he's... You talk about playing till 50. I mean, if anybody can do it, he probably can. And Tom's had an unbelievable career. I mean, you can't. There's not enough superlatives and adjectives to compliment him on everything that he's achieved and continues to achieve. So, yeah, it's, it's unbelievably impressive. How would you characterize your relationship with Tom right now? And have you had any contact with him since he left? Yeah, I think it's good. It's always been good. You consider him a tough quarterback to defend? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, he's just tough. What, tough he's as tough as any quarterback there is or ever has been. I mean, enough said. I mean, his numbers are incredible. He's about to pass the all-time passing record. He's done more than any other player at that position uh, in whatever measurement you want to take, whether it's yards, completions, touchdowns, championships. Uh, you know, you name it. So put anything out there you want. Like, I don't get any tougher than him. Well, um, four days, Michael, until the return. The anticipation is at a fever pitch. It's only pitch. Wednesday. This is crazy. This is crazy. And it's only Wednesday. <laughs> everything is coming out in the wash. You know all about dropping books at just the perfect time. And our guy, Seth Wickersham, uh, whose book is uh, released Next month, it's almost October. His book is released next month. He's got a book out, and that book is making news, which is the goal for books, right? So there's just a couple of uh, That's right. quotes that are gaining some uh, some traction. Uh, this is from It's Better to Be Feared, the forthcoming book on the Patriots dynasty by my, my man Seth Wickersham. Quote, Tom Brady had been curious if there was another way of winning. While nobody was arguing that Bruce Arians was a better coach than Bill Belichick or even close, the seamlessness of Brady's proficiency and performance was making his former coach's methodologies look antiquated, even silly. It was better to be feared, but was it necessary? Uh, there's another line that's uh, getting some attention. Uh, okay, this, this is, is, this is crazy right Kraft. here. I hate leaving here. He was in Aspen, which I've been to Aspen a couple of times. I hate leaving it too. I hate leaving here. You leave here and you leave some of the most brilliant people you've ever met. You pick up so much knowledge from all of these brilliant minds. And I have to go to Detroit to be with the biggest a-hole <laughs> in my life. My head coach. Here's Belichick responding to uh, some of these expert excerpts from It's Better to Be Feared. So it was reported this morning that um, you preferred to speak over the phone with Tom when he delivered the news he'd be leaving the organization in March of 2020 and didn't want to in person was, was that true? Yeah, that yeah, no, that's not true. And and I you know heard a few things about you know this book and sounds like it's a lot of you know second, third, and fourth hand comments. So, but I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to focus on this game and try to prepare for the Bucks. Bill, what was wrong with what was incorrect about uh, the? Yeah, I'm going forward, Greg. Yeah, I'm going forward on that. 
I mean, was it not on the phone? Was it in person? Yeah, I'm going forward on that. I mean, this book, Man. this is this is this book's got everything. I mean, it's it's Malcolm Butler's benching is covered in this book. This is just a couple of the highlights again that people are picking up on. Uh, Tom Brady wanting to leave as early as 2017. Um, the deteriorating relationship, and and again, that was the headline that we showed that uh, Belichick talked on the phone with Brady. Didn't meet with him in person right before he signed with the Bucks. Uh, McDaniel's and Bill O'Brien. Uh, we're both eyeing a spot succeeding Bill Belichick. Uh, this is you just I just read the Robert Kraft thing. I mean, so on and so forth. There's so much juicy stuff in this book, uh, which I got a, a preview copy of. And all and, and last but not least, Donald Trump don't look like you read it though. And his relation, his relation, his it relationship look, it, with Bill Belichick. Donald Trump's relationship with Bill Belichick nearly causing a locker room boycott of practice. Uh, yeah, that's also covered in this book. This is back in uh, back in 2019. Um, I started it. I haven't finished it. I hope to read it by Friday when we have Seth Ricochet on the show. I hope to finish it by Friday, but I've started it. It's uh, it's it's brilliant. I've known Seth almost as long as I've known you and uh, and actually to that end. He's one of my good friends to that end. I do want to get into a conversation with you today because I imagine it's kind of like a little deja vu. I mean, you've written no fewer than I guess four books. You count War Room. Four books related to the Patriots. Um, is my count right? Four books: Brewski, Patriot Reign, War Room, Belichick and Brady. Right? That's Did right. I miss anything? Yeah. So you've written four probably, books related to the Patriots. Okay. So <laughs> some of a lot of this you probably know. Maybe some of it's news right. to you. I love to kind of just get how this feels to be kind of talking about uh, much of which uh, you've already chronicled or you, you've chronicled in some way, shape or form or lived it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just your reaction to some of these, uh, these, these salacious details that got people's attention today, um, whether that's Kraft calling Belichick a effing a-hole to some friends in Aspen <laughs> or whether great. it's Belichick that's not great. wanting to meet with uh, Tom Brady before he left for Tampa. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mike, I, I will say this. Can, can we start with the... Uh, Let's start with the big room. Let's start with the big tent. If you're walking through, if you're walking through and you say, what's under this tent? What I'll say is under this tent is, and you probably talked about this in Aspen. What's under this tent is most of the time, nine, out, nine times out of 10, when you have an excellent organization, when you have an excellent group, when you have an excellent pairing, what brings that thing to the ground, what brings it to its knees is egos out of control. Whether you're talking about the Beatles, whether you're talking about Belichick and Brady, whether you're talking about uh, some great organization. As a matter of fact, if we come to an end, if we come to an end, Mike, it'd be because egos got out of control. I'm just gonna say it right now. It'll be your ego, not mine. It's gonna yours be your in, fault. Yours in particular. If we don't work out, it'll be yours. Definitely, be definitely your yours. No, definitely it's gonna be your fault. It'd be, you. It'd be you. It'd be you. No question to be you. So anyway, I'm saying the Patriots are no exception. What you have here, just for people to understand it, you have three distinct raging egos that need to be fed in different ways. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I remember Bill Russell saying to me years ago, he said, I had an ego. He said, don't ever say that I didn't have an ego, but my ego uh, was wrapped up in team. I was very selfish, 
but I was selfish for team accomplishments. So uh, it's, it's not, I'm not telling a dirty secret. The difference is Tom Brady's ego is fed in, a, in an environment that needs to be a little less intense. So he just got tired, got tired of Bill Belichick, got tired of him. He was tired of him three years before, two or three years before he left him. So that's, that's Tom Brady's ego. Bill Belichick's ego, hey, he's got to be involved. He's got to be in control. And for the most part, he is. And Robert Kraft's ego, this is a slept on one. Robert Kraft's ego is, Robert Kraft is that dude who did something for you and will never let you forget it. Like some brothers that help you out. Hey, man, you in a pinch. And, and they do it. And they hey, don't, don't say it anymore. Don't say no. Say, say less. Say less. I hooked you up. You ain't got to keep praising me. But Robert Kraft. Is that dude, if he does something for you, he wants you to keep coming back, keep genuflecting at the altar. And so for Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, that's, that's the untold story. That still ain't quite right. That relationship ain't been right for a while. But the reason Kraft deals with it is because Belichick has won so overwhelmingly. And this is something to watch, Mike. If the Patriots string together another 7-10 and 10 season following Last year, seven and nine. Especially after the money they shelled out in the offseason. All that money Ooh. they spent this offseason. Bill Belichick is not is not some secure, can't touch him, would never move on from him, coach, based on this relationship. But I'd say the thing that stood out to me uh, out of these allegations is just one, really, is how they were able to win despite all this all this stuff going on in the background. Like, this is not new and uh, you know, good for Seth for, for bringing it out and giving it context. But this has been brewing for a long time as as he pointed out. And there's a lot of back uh, backbiting and backstabbing and infighting uh, behind the scenes. But I think what stood out to me and this really, I, I'd say, closed the Belichick Brady relationship is the plate gate. It was already fragile with the drafting of Jimmy Garoppolo, but as Seth points out, there's a closeness now between Roger Goodell and Bill Belichick. And that closeness, if you're Tom Brady, you say, oh, I know how that closeness happened. This fool threw me under the bus. He threw me under the bus when I was asked about, when he was asked about these deflated footballs, he said, ask the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and, And Tom Brady, okay, he never forgot that. He never forgot it. He hasn't forgotten it. And I'd say the chill set in there. Uh, it got it got even colder when he wanted his contract. He wanted his contract extended. Belichick didn't do it. Jimmy Garoppolo being on the roster, not just the drafting of, of Garoppolo, but, Bel- but Garoppolo being on the roster just kind of was a threat to him. And then finally, he just got to the point where Alex Guerrero was kicked out of the locker room. That was Belichick messing with him, Mike. You know, sometimes you don't get to the person, you get to the person close to them. And and I'll say this last thing I'll say before I kick it back to you. There's an old story how Paul Brown would never yell at Jim Brown. He yelled yelled at another player (laughs) to get to Jim Brown. So it's like, I ain't going to yell at you, but I'm going to yell at you. And you know, and Jim Brown knows that's my message to him. So... Belichick didn't necessarily go at Brady directly, but he took, he went at Guerrero 
his boy, his business partner. And I think that's why the whole thing just kind of disintegrated. It, bottom line, Mike, bottom line, this is a, this, I'm sure this is a fine book from Seth Wickersham. I can't wait to get it uh, and read it. But both of these guys will never tell everything that they know about each other. As great as this is, they both got dirt on each other that they will never give up entirely. It's good stuff. Um, <clears throat> family business, family dramas, I watch- complex. I was watching the best man. I was watching the best man the other day. Oh, so it's gang up on Shelby day. This feels like <laughs> gang up on Belichick week. That's what this feels like. And Michael, oh. Bill Belichick, there is no love lost between me and Bill Belichick. I got nothing against him. I got nothing against Bill Belichick. I started right. covering the team right out of college. We butted heads. He probably, he, I know he couldn't stand me at one point. Maybe bygones are bygones now, but we ain't boys, okay? I've always been right, fair right, with right. him but I always call it like I see it same with him or anybody else. I call it like I see it. Okay. Here's what it feels like. And and I haven't finished Seth's entire book. I I, I will by Friday. It's so far so great. Um, And so this what I'm about to say isn't necessarily a reflection of the book because it's it's certainly very comprehensive and very thorough and very well reported because of Seth. Um, But just based on the tenor of the buildup to this game, based on some of these excerpts. There's a lot of people feel like they're lining up to bite the hand that fed them. And that ego you're talking about comes from a couple of things. It comes it comes from envy. It comes from resentment because throughout this entire process, throughout this entire dynasty, all right? The genius, the savant, or as Kraft referred to him, the idiot savant, the idiot savant. that he gave a chance Ooh. to. Okay. See what the I told genius, you? Genius, though. See? I know, I got you. But Belichick is, has been the brains, has been the genius behind this operation. Okay? Now, there was always the ongoing conversation about, well, who's more responsible? Was it Belichick? Is it Brady? Um, yeah, then when Brady it. leaves, it's like, can't oh, look, it. Brady won without him. So maybe, you know, okay. But I think you would say that if there was a, if there was a credit pie being sliced up over the 20 year run, probably a third, more than a third went to Belichick. It wasn't divided equally among the three of the three of them. More than a third went right, to Belichick. Right, right. Definitely. And Definitely. I would say no question that what you're Robert hearing Kyle now the least. is whether, whether it's, secondhand or, or anecdotally from Robert Kraft because neither Kraft Belichick or Brady agreed to be interviewed for the book for the record. Um, whether it's these anecdotes about Kraft calling him an a-hole or what have you or the stuff that you just shared, whether it's Guerrero complaining about Brady, whether it's Brady being sick of Bill Belichick. Bill right now is the bad guy. And I guess I just feel the need to remind everybody that Bill made Everybody rich. Okay? Everybody. Bob Kraft has made a an F ton of money. Okay? Thanks to Bill Belichick. In no small That's part right. to Bill Belichick. Bob Kraft may want more credit for being 
you know, the, the owner that he's been. But before Bill Belichick, Bob Kraft was the owner, okay, who went to Tabucky Jones's workout and wanted to evaluate Tabucky Jones if memory serves. Right. He was he was no, right. seen as that meddlesome owner. Not, not only that, not only that, Mike. Let me. Uh, Bill, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna Bill Parcells. It. I'm gonna, it, I'm gonna interject and then go right back. Then tap yeah. it right back to you. Yeah. Back then, he was Bob. Okay. Now he's Robert. Yes. He's <laughs> not, Bob. Not Robert okay. K. Kraft. He, Bill Belichick allowed him to go hey, listen. from Bob to Robert. And Get listen, I, hey. I've, I've had I've had a fantastic relationship with, with Mr. Kraft, with, with, with Robert Kraft, with Jonathan Kraft. Stop I have a fantastic relationship with Robert Kraft. Stop that, Mr. Kraft. Stop. No, stop no, no, that. Robert. I'm saying it's not it's, it's not it's not personal. It's not personal. It's not, my point is it's not personal. No, but okay? the, 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 Mr. the Mr. The Mr. So, Kraft stuff just bothers me. That just bothers. Me. I just tell you, that's my pet peeve, Mr. Kraft. Point being, we we, we grown ups. Um, your name's your name's Robert. I'm gonna call you Robert. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Okay. Sure. And I and I call, I would call a coach, coach, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. Sorry if I talk like I'm working okay. for the time, for the New York Times. Okay. I got you. My yeah. point is, okay, yeah, a little bit that go ahead. Go ahead. same coach that Robert that, uh, that Bill Parcells was like, hey, they want you to cook the meal. Might as well let you shop for the groceries. Okay. So. Robert Kraft was not this Hall of Fame owner before he got with Bill Belichick. Now, with Tom right. Brady, had he not been the 199th pick, had somebody else drafted him, would Tom Brady have gone on to be great? Who's to say? No more than, and I'm reading Seth's book, no more than it's, you can say that if Tom had gone to, to Cal or to USC, that he'd have been as great as he turned out to be having gone to Michigan. Who knows? What we do know is that Tom Brady got six rings and Tom and Tom Brady knows this to his credit. Whatever he says privately publicly, he has said the right thing and the right things mm -hmm. that Tom Brady got six rings. He got a supermodel wife. He got a clothing line coming out. Okay. He's got a, a lifestyle brand. He's got all these things in no small part because of that partnership with Bill Belichick. Robert right. Kraft right. is richer than he was Facts. before. In no small part because yes. of Bill Belichick. So all I'm here to say is for all the criticisms of Belichick and I've levied many of them over the years. Okay. I started my career covering this dude. I've been talking about this dude for 20 years. Okay. You've been writing about him for all the criticisms that are legitimate of Bill Belichick. You these people who are pointing the finger at him saying this place is toxic or this place is uncomfortable right. or it's not fun or you ran Brady out of time. All this kind of stuff. You got six Lombardis, six banners and a F ton of money and legacies that will last forever. Thanks to this so-called idiot savant. Just Mike, saying Mike, you, tell you may question Mike, his methods. Ooh, you cannot question his results. And none of them are who they are without Bill Belichick. Belichick's not who he is without Kraft and fairness. And Belichick so far right. has shown that he is nothing without Tom Brady. So far, let's let's just let's call it like let's keep it a buck. He went five and eleven in two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. He yes, went seven yes. and nine last year. Ooh. So without and he went eleven and five with Matt Castle. So there's that. But without Brady, the jury's still out on Belichick. In fairness, but something. point being. We can have all of these stories about what an ogre and what an a-hole and what a jerk and all the things that Belichick did wrong. You cannot deny the results 
and everybody eats, B. Everybody eats. And all of them have eaten good as a result of Bill Belichick. Mike, Michael Smith, um, I give credit. I like to think that I give credit where credit is due. You've never been better. You have never been better. You have never spoken truer words. You have never been more on pop point. That is excellent commentary that you just delivered. I'm, not, I'm serious. You, you, you're waiting for the trap door. You're waiting for me to pull something. Uh, you're waiting for I me am. to pull that chair out from yeah, you. I am. But, I, but I'm not yeah. going to do it. No, you are 100%. No, you are 1,000% correct. Everybody around Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, you know what Bill Belichick is? I, I, I've said this before. Bill Belichick is like, um, it's like an Ivy League. It's like being associated with the Ivy League. Nobody asks mm-hmm. what your grades <laughs> were. Nobody asks right. that. They say, well, wait a minute. Where'd you go? Oh, you went to Harvard? Okay, good. Okay, you right. went to Harvard. Yeah. Now, listen, what I may you, have graduated last in my class from Harvard. Yeah, yeah. What do you call a person who graduated last from Harvard? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Harvard mm-hmm. graduate. Mm-hmm. So everybody yeah. around him, everybody around him. How many him, people have gotten Joe jobs? Ju- to this day. Coaches. Joe Judge. GMs. Uh, yes. Bill O'Brien. Thomas Dimitrov. Scott Pioli. John Robinson. Jason Light. Uh, guys in college, players who have increased their value leaving, leaving New England, writers. And listen, Bill Belichick, I ain't gonna lie to you. Bill Belichick paid for that fireplace behind me. <laughs> okay. Bill Belichick okay. paid for that right there. Thank you. I'm, listen, that's a Bill Belichick listen. fireplace. More than one thing could be true. He could be an a hole, yeah. but we can appreciate that a hole because and I don't he know. Is. Look, is he? And he, he is. is. He is. He is. He is. <laughs> he is. And he, and he, he is. Here's the thing. And listen. And he's both. Steve, go ahead. He's both. He's that. There's Steve no Jobs. question. There's no question. He's got the a-hole gene, but he's got some generosity to him too. And and you can focus yeah. on either one. Now, people who have left him or people who have been dismissed by him, traded by him, ignored by him. I hear you, Julie Mangini, Eric Mangini, trying to fight him because, hey, man, the honor of my wife. You have tried. You go disrespect our family. Yeah, we go try. We go. We go come to blows. Eric Mangini, by yeah, the way, that's not how we do has it. seen both sides of. He's seen. He's seen both sides of it. Scott Pioli has seen both sides of it, sides of it. They've seen the a hole. They've seen the generous spirit and everything in between. So you're right. Hey, is this what it takes? Is this what it takes to be a champion? Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Aaron Sorkin? Maybe not one. Have you ever seen Aaron Sorkin, Steve Jobs, or Michael Fassbender? With with Michael Fassbender and Kate Winslet? You ever seen Steve uh, Steve Jobs? Excellent film. I watch it all the time. Watch it once a week. Um, There's a scene where Andy Hertzfeld, his colleague that he really like kind of bullies and pushes around, he was like, he asked Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, he says, why do you want people to dislike you? And, And Steve Jobs replies, I don't want people to dislike me. I'm indifferent as to whether they dislike me. <laughs> okay. And so if you and Bill Belichick is indifferent to how you feel about him. Yes. We'll continue this conversation on the other side. Uh, and if this matchup didn't get any, it could needed to be any sexier, Richard Sherman is a buccaneer now. Who knew? Not as nerve-wracking to do it in year eleven as it is in year one. <laughs> One, you're sitting there like, oh, what am I signing? Year 11, you're like, 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> See, as I was saying, like, you know, if we want, we could view this as divorced parents being in the same place for the first time in a long time. Um, yeah. If we want. Or it could be viewed as a celebration of what was. Um, you know, if you're the Patriots, if you're Patriot Nation. That's why I'm like, welcome Brady back. Cheer for Brady. Root for your team. But it doesn't have to be some kind of a you know, look back at why things ended the way they did. As, as a wise person once said, everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. And so, you know, it was, it was going to end sooner or later. Right. Uh, it did. Right. And while they were together, you got six championships and nine trips to the Super Bowl. Um, an unprecedented run of dominance. And so, like, this doesn't necessarily have to be tense is what I'm getting at. If we want to, you know, stick with the relationship theme, this that, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be weird. Doesn't have to be tense. Nonetheless, it will be emotional because it's going to be odd, right. weird in a different sense to see Tom Brady return to Gillette Stadium in a different uniform. And I get all of that. Um, so I, I guess my question is, what is the significance of this game? We know, we know the subtext. We know the, we know the, the context. Yeah of the game, right? It's obvious. But what's the significance of this game? In other words, we talked about for a while looking ahead. We've been looking at this game, you know, since Brady went to Tampa, you know, we've been looking at it since last year. Um, how much, if at all, does it matter to each of these individuals? And if so, to whom does it matter more? All right, listen, I'm going to I'm going to answer that question. Uh, I'm going to answer that question on the front end and on the back end. I'll just say that for those who don't know Boston, old school Boston, it used to be said that the two uh, biggest pastimes, that the two biggest sports in Boston were politics and revenge. And there are politics and revenge involved in the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick story, no question. So that, that's, what, that's what this game is about. This game is about revenge. It's, it's revenge from Tom Brady's perspective. Oh, you didn't want me. You try to get me out? Is it? After my 2013 season, you brought in Jimmy Garoppolo. You did all this stuff to me. You doubted me. You brought up my age and contract status on the day that you drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. You wanted him to be the next one, but hey, he lost. You brought him in. He got out before I did. I'm still doing my thing at 44, and you questioned me when I was 36. So that's what it's about. And for Tom and for Bill Belichick, it's about hey, I got to justify the decision that I made. Yes, I made a tough decision, but I can be a championship coach still, even without Tom Brady. It's not like he wanted to prove when Brady was there that he wanted to win, that he wanted he could be a champion without him. But now that Brady's gone, he needs to show people that hey, I still got it. So I mean, I think that's part you know of what? it. But you know what? Here's hold, the other hold, thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. Let me get in here. Let me get in here before, before you go to the other thing because I don't want to come back to this. Yeah. Let me get in here. Everything you just said is BS. <laughs> okay. 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 If you play the stuff that the people like, the people will come. Okay. No. Um, but, but but seriously, all jokes aside, Michael, I, I was thinking about this, and this is why this, what I just asked you was a trick question. I don't think it's that significant to either of them, 
and maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm full of it. I don't think it's that significant yes. to either of them. I think it's, I think for Brady, it's going to be emotional. But the answer to the answer to my own question is, to whom does it matter more? The answer is neither. And here's why I say that. I'll tell you why I say that. Okay. You're wrong. I told you earlier. Without, I gave credit to maybe. you earlier when you were right. Maybe, but let me, but let me, but I can let me tell you right to now, you no matter what you say. And I, and listen, you're wrong. I could be, I could be, but let me explain to you my thinking. Let me explain to you my thought. I know you are, but go ahead. So without getting too deep or into too, too far detail, um, I once had a friend tell me that part of the reason I was uh, bitter because revenge is rooted in bitterness, right? Part of the reason that I was bitter was because I wasn't satisfied with where I was. Um, bitter about a previous relationship because I wasn't happy in my next relationship or bitter about a previous set of circumstances in the way something happened because right. I wasn't happy about where I was afterward, right? So I think about that and I say, if you're Tom Brady and okay, they thought you were done and we know he doesn't far be it from Tom Brady to seek out motivation, right? They thought he was done. They wouldn't give him the contract that he wanted to age 45, yada, 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 right? But at the end of the day, and Belichick said this the other day, the better option for him financially, circumstantially, uh, situationally, whatever you want to call it, was Tampa. And last year and so far this year bore that out. The alternative logic. was to re-sign in New England and wait for it, continue to be miserable. So, yes, he wants it both ways, Brady does. Yes, he wanted them to respect him enough right. to give him the contract he wanted and let him finish his career there because he earned that, right? But by the same token, yeah. he wasn't happy in that relationship. Now he's on to bigger and better. That's him. Tom Brady moving on was so devastating to Bill Belichick that Bill Belichick, for whatever reason, didn't see him in person on the way out. He said, hey, man, you're the best to ever do it. Good luck. Moving on. You and I both know that there is not an ounce of sentimentality in Bill Belichick. And lastly, before I give it back to you, Michael, I'll say this. This is the one time, the one time. Again, I'm not saying it's not an emotional game. I'm talking about the significance of it. It's more significant to us than it is to them. It's more significant to media. It's more significant to fans. The storylines are more significant than the actual game because, okay, this is how I know I'm right. And you're going to have to quote Bill Belichick or Tom Brady to tell me I'm wrong. Neither of these individuals, okay. neither of these, these individuals is in the business of winning week four games. Now, I know that runs counter to everything we're doing here at NBC Sports and Peacock. I'm supposed that's to talk right. this game up like it is a Super Bowl, but guess what? It no, no, ain't. No, I, I and Bill you. Belichick has got bigger fish to fry than revenge against Tom Brady. Or Because even if he wins this game, that doesn't prove Jack. It was still a mistake. Yeah. It was obviously a mistake. Right. There is no debating right. that it right. was a mistake. But he right. made the decision right. and he moved on. If Brady wins this game, what does it prove? So he's the he's he's more the greatest than he already was. There's neither of these people have anything to prove, least of all to Amen. each other. So point being, this game is significant for us. It is fantastic theater and nothing more. 
This is the first time in my my life covering sports where I actually believe what somebody says where they say, you know what? This is a football game because at the end of the day, that's all it is. Guarantee you, Belichick is not worried about trying to prove something to Tom Brady because Belichick will win this game and still go 79 to your point. Tom Brady ain't worried about trying to prove nothing to Bill Belichick. He's already done that. He won the championship. And if he wins this game, there's no guarantee he winning number eight. This is nothing hey, but a family reunion where you're trying to show up looking your best, and that's a wrap. It's fun. It's theater. There's no greater significance than that. This is not some uh, referendum on either of these individuals and their legacy. That's why I say it, it, does, it doesn't matter to either of them. It matters more to us than it does to them. Okay. Um, you're wrong. Did that go <laughs> like wrong. you thought it would? And I, did that, did I'll that tell go like you, you why. <laughs> No, it didn't. But but you're wrong. But I'll tell you why. I'll, t- I'll make this. I'll make this brief. You're wrong because you have underestimated the pettiness factor that both of these guys have. Yes, they will tell you that we you don't win championships in week four. Bill Belichick, when they've been nine and zero a couple of times, he said that doesn't get you anything. Doesn't get you into the playoffs. Nine wins. We can li- we can lose the rest of our games. And what have we done? So they say that publicly. But this is also a head coach who has beaten the New York Jets. 11 times in a row and you check the quotes every time he beats the Jets most of the time he says it's always good to beat the Jets. Why does he say that he can't stand mm-hmm. the Jets. He hates now, the he's Jets. in a better place. He still I hates the Jets. He still because they left. No doubt. He resigned as HC of the NYJ. He still False equivalency. hating on them. False equivalency, he, but, but I'm that's saying, a division rival. It's not, I, that's not no, 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 the same no, no, league. No, no. Ain't the same ballpark. Not, ain't I, the same freaking sport. You're not listening to me. You're not listening. I didn't say I'm hearing you. I'm telling you as I'm an example of how petty mm-hmm. he can be and how petty Tom Brady mm-hmm. can be. Tom Brady senior you and I know it was firsthand. emotional was emotional mm-hmm. last week. He got a note from his son saying, Dad, what are you doing? What are you right. doing? Because it's still raw for not just Tom Brady, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady senior, but also Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. But look, look I just want to say this. I'm going to say this. We can go back and forth on the significance. I know it's significant to both guys. I know it. I know that. I know that. I know. I know it's significant to both of them. I know that. But I'll tell yeah, you. I think you're assuming. One thing. No, no, no. I'm not. I, I know it for a fact. I would. I, I'd bet. I'd bet all of your money and half of mine. I'm, I'm not. Wait. I'm right. Hold on. I'm not saying just just for clarity. I'm not saying it's completely insignificant. I said it was emotional. I said it was going to be emotional. But I'm telling you that this game is not something where somebody's going to be. They're not getting a trophy for it. They're not getting an axe. So they're not getting a boot. They're, this is not a rivalry game. They're not. Get, they're not. They're not. After the game, Brady is not going to be able to say "told you so" because he did that last year. What they both year. have, what they both have, is people uh, like little uh, uh, sycophants on both sides just chirping in the air, chirping in the air about the other one, chirping, 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 and they believe it. And they believe it. They they like that. They do. They they like having like an audience that's all on them. They're like, hey, you're great. He's wrong. He shouldn't have let you go. Hey, you're fine without him. It was about time anyway. His ego was out of control. Tom changed. Bill changed. Back and forth. Ba 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 ba. Lots of chatter. But I'll just say this. Uh, just on another note, and I want to say this because it's just interesting to me when you look at this uh, Brady Belichick relationship. When you hear people talk about it, and Robert Kraft is like this too. Robert Kraft says, hey, he was nothing, essentially. He was nothing before Cleveland. Look what he was in Cleveland. He was 14 games under 500. Uh, four losing seasons in five years. Made the playoffs one time in Cleveland. I rescued him. 
And then you hear some people say, hey, Bill Belichick was nothing without Tom Brady. Look at his record without Tom Brady. Those people, Michael, kind of missed the point. There should be an inspirational story there. And what they what they choose right. to do is look at some look at something negative. And people do this all the time. They do it all the time. I remember when the Red Sox won in 04, there were people saying, hey, Theo Epstein won with Dan Duquette's players. So what? That all that all that tells you is that you're just one step away from greatness. Sometimes you're yeah. one closer away, one pitcher away, one quarterback away, one breakaway. There's somebody out there with a business plan. Hey, your business plan is one step away from greatness. You've you've experienced mediocrity and, and disappointment. You're one step away, but instead we say, well, you were nothing until that guy came in. So, so what? Hey, in other words, somebody else had them. They couldn't get championships, but I did. I, I just, I just think the whole, the whole framing of it overall, I just think speaks. Now that does speak to our projections, and it speaks to our, our Thank world you. view. Because, because let me ask you. I, I do let agree with you this. Let I me ask you that. this, Belichick expert. Do you think Belichick, do you think in his heart of hearts, deep down in places he doesn't talk about at parties, do you think Belichick regrets, regrets letting Tom Brady go? No. No. Do you think Tom Brady is happier now and knows that he's happier now? Happier now. Than he would have happier been. Happier now. It, than he would have been in New England for another couple of years. Yes. Do you think Brady knows I think that? He's happier now. So. Look, exactly. Okay, so but even the outcome though, of this game can still be satisfying for either victorious party. I give you that it could be very satisfying for right. all the obvious reasons. I'm talking about like this game doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things for them because the grand scheme of things for them is a singular focus on one objective. Belichick ain't looking back. Brady ain't looking back. There could still be no love loss and a desire to beat the other one from a competitive standpoint, but we are building this game up to be more. It's the biggest regular season game I've ever seen. Most of us have ever seen right. the hype is the hype is real and it's legitimate, but it's the theater more than it is the significance because nothing's on the line other than satis brief satisfaction. But that ain't what they in it for. Belichick and in it to beat Brady in week four, and Brady and in it to beat Belichick in week four. Not in it for that. He's not in it for that, but that is still like a little victory. Just like, okay, okay hey, tell yeah, me if this is a false. They'll smile. They'll enjoy it. Tell me if this is false. When Belichick faced Bill Parcells for the first time after leaving yep. New York, and at times yep. being browbeat by Bill Parcells as a member of the Jets yes. and as a member of the Patriots and as a member of the Giants. He had a lot of history with Bill Parcells. And so when he beat him, shut him out the first time they faced each or other. Or even Mangini. Post New York. Or even Mangini. It you mentioned Mangini. Meant any, of his, any of his apprentices. It was satisfying. Now, it was early in the season. They, it wasn't a playoff game. They win no championships. It was satisfying. satisfying. Because it's like, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Deeply satisfying. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Like, that is oh, I got that. But it, but, oh, but it, but it. What was that word? What was that word one? you used uh, 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 at the beginning of a uh, couple couple weeks ago? You had you were dropping a, a certain word that can be used in many ways. Bernie Mac popularized it. In Kings oh, of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bill yeah. Belichick. Yeah, no. Or Tom Brady. No, it is. After the game, it we'll is. Say, oh, I beat that. Mm -hmm. I, I, beat with, I beat that. I beat that. 
But when Belichick goes back to his office, he's not going to be like, yeah, see, that just shows I did the right thing because I beat him tonight. Or, you know what? I'm good. And Brady's not going to be like, yeah, see, you were wrong. Again, because the question's already been answered. Dude went and won the Super Bowl the first what? year after. It was so obviously a mistake. It's not even a debate whether it was the right move. You're not dealing with two snipers. You're dealing with yeah. two snipers, ultra competitive. My, ultra my point competitive. is, they wire differently in ways that I don't know that we could relate to. But maybe I'm overstating their, you know, maybe I'm over, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm overstating it. Speaking of being wired differently, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Remember, he was a philosopher at the NBA Finals. Yep. Didn't change on media day. You want to talk about a dude that's got his head on straight? Right now, what I want is to get better. I don't care about trophies. I don't care about MVPs. I don't care about um, defense player of the years. I don't care about all, all, all that things. I don't care. I care about getting better because I know that if I do that, there's more things coming with that. And, and, and I, that's what I've done my whole career now. And that's how I am in this position, right? So, so uh, there's no weight off my shoulder. I feel the same. Wait, um, the weight was always get better. I really, I just, I kind of laugh at it. Um, you know, I, I actually really do laugh, and I'm not just saying that. But uh, some of them, some of the memes and some of the jokes have been, I mean, extremely funny. Um, and just some of it is just, uh, you know, just trying to get people to read tabloids and things of that nature. But uh, the game is won in between those four lines, um, and it's not one. Um, on the bottom ticker, is not one in the newspaper. Um, it's not one on, uh, you know, sports talk shows and things of that nature. Um, you know, if we come out and we, we put the time in, we put the work in, um, we make our own narrative. And, uh, and one thing that we know um, where we are, uh, we got a bunch of guys that's been in this league for quite a while that understands and what know, what knows what it takes to win. We are a lot older, but uh, we got a lot more wisdom. Um, Guys know how to play, um, and not saying the guys didn't last year, but you know with with you know the veteran you know veterans that we got, these guys have been in the league for a long time, and so um, we can put a lot more complex stuff in, knowing that guys will understand it a lot quicker. Um, but we won't know the difference until you know we be able to step on the floor. Uh, my job is to make sure that I continue to just make those guys better. That's all I really want to do is to make sure that uh, whether you know, they are the most comfortable in their own skin, and they're playing at their best. Um, you know, AD and Bron and the rest of the guys are playing at the highest level they can play at, and I want to make sure I can uplift them and use my abilities to better make those guys better. It's not, it ain't going to be great all the time. You know, it's going to be ups and downs. It's going to be arguments. It's going to be fights. It's going to, you know, but as long as we we know what time it is, that we got each other's back, and we go going to war with, with each other, and that's the only thing that matters. You know, LeBron and AD specifically – talked about how, how much you were missed last year. I'm wondering, did they play a uh, role? They said that? <laughs> Give me a second. I missed you too, Rajan. I mean, it, it still don't feel real. Looking at the, the media day uh, photos from yesterday and seeing that, I get it, they're on the older side. But nonetheless, seeing the collection of accomplished, and that's, you know, speaking conservatively, accomplished players that the Lakers 
have managed to assemble. I mean, it, it's really like the Avengers or the Expendables or something. It's like a movie. Uh, Jay Adonde, appreciate you falling through, man. You've, you've obviously worked for the LA Times for a long time. You've, you've had your finger on the pulse of LA and the Lakers in particular for as long as we can remember. We've seen a lot of excitement around this team. They always attract stars. They always, you know, super teams live in LA. They always as assemble quite a bit of talent. What's the level of excitement and anticipation around this particular group? And not just excitement and anticipation, but maybe even skepticism about this particular group, whether it's age, whether it's skill set, how it can all come together to achieve the only thing that matters when it comes to Lakers fan, and that's another championship. It's interesting because you compare it to the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is when Gary Payton and Carl Malone, Carl Malone joined the team in 2003 when Shaq and Kobe were really prime Shaq and Kobe, um, but it wasn't prime Gary Payton and Carl Malone. And the biggest difference between them was that Carl Malone, who never missed games ever, wound up missing a big chunk of the regular season and then couldn't finish off the NBA Finals because he got injured. Uh, so that's the fear here, right, is that these guys are a tad on the older side, but the guys that they added aren't necessarily as old as Peyton Malone. I'd say Westbrook in particular isn't, you know, that far advanced in his career as Peyton and Malone were. Um, Carmelo, obviously, you're not getting all-star Carmelo, uh, but the guy can still score. He showed that in Portland in the last couple of years. That guy can still score effortlessly. Um and I think what's really the most important is you're getting them all, maybe not at their physical peak, but I think at their mental peak. Seeing Rondo kind of joke around like that, is that the Rajon Rondo that you've seen before when he was ultra serious? Seeing Russell Westbrook, who is continuing this vibe that he's been on seemingly since last year when he was in Washington. If he was that happy in Washington playing for the team that barely made the playoffs, imagine how happy he's going to be back in L.A. playing for the team that has a legitimate shot at the championship. So... I'm most optimistic about their mental space. The question is, of course, can their bodies hold up? And what's going to be a very demanding season, this is really, I think, the third and final year of the COVID effect on the NBA. Obviously, you had the disruption in the bubble and then the short offseason last year, and now we're coming off the short offseason this year. So it's not going to be until next season that I think they're really truly past um, the effects of the COVID, COVID pandemic on the schedule um, and, of course, on their bodies. All right, you, you talked about the mental space, J.A. Adonde. I, I want to ask you about the mental space of Lakers fans. Because I'm, I'm looking at all this, and I'm thinking, all right, if they win a championship, that would be a two championships LeBron has with the Lakers. And I think about the Lakers' tradition and how magic, magic is like a Laker. And, and Kobe, rest in peace, was a Laker, a lifelong Laker. Uh, Kareem wasn't a lifelong Laker, but still, old Cap, you know, that's family. Yeah, five championships, LeBron, yeah. Decade plus. Yeah. Will LeBron be grafted into the family tree if he wins the championship? Or is it just too late? Is he just too associated with the Cavaliers and Heat to be like a Laker legend? It, it's, it's so weird. And... Somebody on Twitter had a thought like, okay, it, it's gonna, we're going to get into a complicated era when these guys go into the Hall of Fame, for example. I know in basketball, they don't have to choose which cap or uniform they're wearing as they enter the Hall of Fame. But kind of for us, as, as we think of, of them as Hall of Famers, what jersey will we associate them with? Uh, what franchise will we associate them with? Like Kevin Durant, how are we going to think of him? 
Um, that one's really confusing, even though to date he's only got his two championships. I think he'll get at least one with the Nets. But, you know, so far his only championships are with the the Warriors. But he won his MVP in, in Oklahoma City, and we kind of think of him with that team. With LeBron, I mean, if he only gets one, if he gets two, then it gets, you know, that's almost the bare minimum. Like in Lakers, you got to win championships. You know, LeBron can point to one banner up there. Magic's got five. Kobe's got five. Kareem's got five. Worthy's got multiple. Three, I think it is, for James Worthy. You know, like LeBron, even with two, doesn't really compare to the greats. I mean, that would give him more than Jerry West won, for example, or Will Chamberlain won with the Lakers. Um, but that's the standards of that franchise. And, right, right. you know, it, it, I, I think he's been accepted now. There was, there was some, you know, difficulty. He helped them navigate through the post-Kobe. He brought another championship. But also the fact that he hasn't had his championship parade moment and he hasn't been able to stand on the, on the scores table and bask in the fans because when they won, it was in the bubble. And he hasn't won a playoff series outside of that. Right. It's funny from a business standpoint, LeBron has not been a big beneficiary to the Lakers because they haven't played home playoff games at Staples Center with full fans. Maybe one this year. That's about it. So he hasn't delivered in that regard from the business standpoint. Um, but he, he brought a championship. If he brings two, I think you're in the club, but I'm not sure where, where you're seated at the table necessarily. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's kind of Laker. The Laker nation might adopt him as a Laker, might let him in the club in that, in that pantheon, but the, to the rest of the world, he's a Cavalier, like point blank. You know what I mean? So, what was interesting was yeah, like he was know, still doing commercials his first years with the Lakers. He was still doing commercials that were referencing Cleveland. You know, and that, that seemed really I weird mean, to look, me. That with, he, a, with apologies to Miami. He grew up in Miami, grew up, he grew up as a player in Miami. You know, they had their moment. He'll have his moment or moments with the Lakers. But when it comes to like how he'd be remembered, it's a Cavalier and especially 2016 in particular. You mentioned the Nets that Durant will get at least one uh, with the Nets. Um, huh. That looks like much less of a sure thing. <laughs> uh, given Kyrie's status as unvaccinated and the league uh, released its uh, its COVID protocols chief among them is that you will forfeit money for games you don't play because of ordinances in either San Francisco mm. or New York. Um, and so what I would love to know from you, J.A., is just, just what's your general take on this, this culture war that is being waged within the NBA? We've been talking about the last couple of days. We'd love to know just your thoughts on, on how this is going to play out if guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving are really going to cough up this kind of money. Well, one thing I want to get into is this notion of, well, I'm not going to discuss this because this is private. And I was thinking about last night, coming up on 30 years ago, it'll be 30 years next month, November 7th, I believe. Um, Magic. Magic Johnson stood up in front of the world, held a press conference, and announced that he was HIV positive at a time when there was all sorts of stigmas associated with that at a time when we really didn't have a good understanding 
of the virus and the disease of AIDS and, and what it meant, how it could be transmitted. With all of that swirling around, he got up and gave a very personal disclosure. And so the notion that these players today can't disclose whether or not they've taken the vaccine, if, when you put it against that, it's absolutely preposterous. Um, where did this that, come from? What, what is it? It's private. It, it, they're trying private. to hide like, behind something. It I mean, I, I will all, say this. I just don't want to explain it. Of, of all these things, I mean, it, it is invasive, right? Um, you know, you're being asked to inject something into your body and you want some autonomy over your body. So I understand it from that perspective. But you also have to realize that this is also something that can be spread, can be transmitted. Um, so therefore, it's not just about you, right? right Every public. single person is potentially a threat to the lives of those Correct. around them unless they take the most appropriate measures. And the best we have is the vaccine and regular testing. Um, but even that is no guarantee. So um, I guess what I'm saying, Jimmy, just, just, to, just to interject real quick, I guess mm -hmm. what I'm saying like, yes, it is your individual body. It is invasive. And we've talked about this, that no, it's not private when it's the public health crisis. This is a pandemic. What I'm saying is usually respect my privacy has to do with matters that may be seen as taboo. Okay. Or right. if, you, if you're grieving and something happens. Loss. Uh huh? Right. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah, if you're grieving loss. and something happens, like, hey, respect our privacy at this time. It's like there's there's nothing that should be stopping you. If you if you are standing in your conviction and your beliefs, there's nothing that should be stopping you from if you believe everything you're researching, if you believe it all, stand up and say it. Explain it. You know what I mean? Right. It's not you're, you're not it's not to be embarrassed about if that's how I'll you see it. That's why that's why the, yeah. it's private bothers me. That's all. I actually give Jonathan Isaac credit because I think he said some outrageous things play with the Orlando Magic. But at his media day, I thought he actually made a good case for himself in that, okay, I've, he's already had it. He believes he has, the, you know, he's got the antibodies from having had COVID before. Um, he's, he's young, he's, he's healthy, so he doesn't consider himself at risk. Therefore, and he acknowledged the fact that uh, the chances of, you know, contracting a serious side effect from the vaccine are slight. But his thing is, why should I have to be subject to those chances? remote though they may be. And again, I think the counter is that this is not just about you, um, that, that you can put others at risk. Actually, one of the best arguments was when Marshawn Lynch had a, a, a video chat with, with Dr. Anthony Fauci, and it was designed to, um, you know, to help increase awareness and, and provide information for the black community because African-Americans have lagged when it comes to, to getting the vaccine. Um, and Dr. Fauci said that Black people are at greater risk and because of the historically racist uh, conditions that have, you know, led to uh, uh, malnutrition and uh, diabetes and and mm -hmm. all these other elements that have combined to put pre-existing conditions. Right. But it, it and so Marcel Lynch's point was, OK, well, if we're trying to get back to normal. Why should I get something injected into me? if the goal is to return us to that state that put me at a greater risk in the first place. And to me, that's not a convincing argument as to why not to get the vaccination or to get the vaccine, but it kind of does have a point, right? Why should I subject myself to even the slightest risk of a side effect from getting something put into my body 
if the normal state has, has us behind and has us a greater risk? Like, what's the benefit of that? You know, kid, if I took this shot and would get us to a better place, maybe. Um, you know, having said all that, again, yeah. I think the importance of, of getting the vaccine, of understanding that black people are at greater risk. And so if you are someone who is in the black community, the risk of spreading it in the black community where there is greater risk of death, um, you, you know, you're almost more obligated to, to get it. Um, you know, and to you know just dispel with any notion of it's a conspiracy against black people. Please, who were the first people rushing to get this vaccine, making sure that they were in position to get this vaccine? Right. Rich white people. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Right. And, if and, anything, and you know there would be a conspiracy Michael, to keep you from getting from it, to getting it, not to getting hey, it. Real right. quick, hey, real quick, real quick, Michael, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, Wiggins, he's looking at forfeiting $15.8 million if he refused to get vaccinated. Kyrie, $17.5 million. That's what I was looking for earlier. Michael Holly, that, that's how much money they would, they would forfeit. That's just from a basketball, not to if mention they, the home They don't game. play the home games. from a basketball right. standpoint. We're talking about society. There's a lot of money that they, they're going to lose based on these protocols and not getting paid if they don't play. Go ahead, Michael. Sorry. You know, I was just going to say, y'all, like, I, you know, we always talk about kings of comedy, uh, different contexts. I've got the words uh, of Steve Harvey, like, ringing in my head. I don't want to help out. You know what I mean? I just don't want to help out because <laughs> I, I'm, when I start talking about this, when I start talking about how people should be vaccinated, I'm getting to a point where I'm going to have a condition. Like my blood pressure goes up. <laughs> I like I, I clench my fit. My nerves are bad. Like somebody y'all used to work with. I ain't work with her, but somebody y'all used to work with went on a podcast. Don't do it. And talk about don't don't, oh, don't no, how no, sick. no no. I ain't gonna say no. her name. Stop. I ain't gonna say her name. No, I, but you but but but, but, you, but you but you trigger. It's still a trigger. It's still a trigger. But but it's still okay. A trigger. It's triggered. Thanks, right, that's what I'm saying. It triggered me too. Right. My me. blood pressure going up now. So. After I heard about that, I said, I'm done. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Yes, I have tried to stand up for black people. I have said, look, this is hurting our communities. Let's do this. I've tried to use logic. I, Mike and Jay, I think I may be done talking. About, oh. Like I may be retired from vax Maybe. pushing, vax encouragement. I'm a retired vax encourager. If you don't want to get, that's I don't want to help out. Do me a favor. Just do, you don't want to get it. just do me a favor. Just do me a favor. You, you, you were this close to saying that's your girl. Hey, just make. I'm just making sure you. Uh, no, no, to no, say that. Okay. You, no, no, you, I would never close just, to saying that. Hey, <laughs> I ain't gonna never do that to you. I would never do that to you. Okay, no, I, I appreciate it. No, nope. let's go ahead. Let's no. go ahead and pivot. You're, you're right. It, it, it is. It is exhausting. It's like you know, busting your fist against a stone wall or whatever. Um, Jay, I think the last time we had you on, bro, was before the Bucks won the championship. Um, I don't remember at what stage of the playoffs it was, but you had a great point about Giannis coming into his powers and his how historically great players come in. I think I think the age was 27, 27, the age 27, season. 27. And you yeah. can go back and look at all so, the greats and the age 27. Yeah. season. So a few minutes ago, we heard Giannis and we heard him talk about his focus and his drive and wanting to continue to improve and and be better defensively. This is a defensive player of the year, formerly we're talking about. Be better at the free throw line, which he was as he closed out the Suns. Uh, what did that say to you about him? And since we saw you and since you made that point, he dropped that 50 piece in the closeout game. Kind of, you know, add on, add a little bit of a, a, a an Adonde addendum to what you were saying about the historic. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, there's also the championship boost 
right? So now we have to factor that in as well. And really more for the team, I would say, than for the individual, but certainly for the star player as well. Once they know they can win it, and once they know the formula for winning it, uh, that just makes them better. And so if you think about after Michael won his first championship, that 91-92 Bulls team was better. Um, After the Warriors won their first championship together, they went out and won 73 games the next season. Now, granted, they lost in the finals, and I think a lot of factors caught up with them. But still, throughout that regular season, they were better. Um, the Lakers, with Kobe and Shaq, they went in 2000, kind of struggled all the way. They were still figuring out how to win in, in 2000, had to go to a lot of you know game sevens and game five in the first round. But then the next year, once they hit the playoffs, they were much better, went on an all-time great playoff run. So the boost that comes, Doc Rivers talks about it, you're just – better. Steph Curry told me that early in that 73 win season, you know, they get off to a pretty good start at like five and oh, and I'm talking after the game on camera. And he says, we're better than we were last year. And I was like, well, 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 yeah. And yeah. Um, there's just something that comes from knowing how to win a championship. So now he's got that in addition to the natural maturation that for whatever reason seems to hit even the great players at age 27. That being said, I mean, if we do have a full Nets team, um, you know, if they do face the best version of the Lakers that we could see in the finals, um, you know, there's a lot of landmines out there. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say they're, they're a lock to repeat, but I think we could see greatness from Giannis. And I'd be wary of when you're handicapping the league, um, it might be easy to just dismiss the Bucks and say, well, a lot of things went their way last year. They got some breaks, certainly, but they're going to have that there. You can't think of them as you thought of last year's Bucks because they have that championship experience. Giannis has it. His entire team has it. All right, Jay Adonde, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this last one I have for you. I just want to let people know that when we talk on the phone, I mean, I, I, I may go a year without talking to you, six months without talking to you, Whenever I pick up the phone, J.A. Donde says, Michael Holly, where you at? Which is a quote from the one and only Q-tip from the Boomerang soundtrack. And so, you know, you usually stop there. You usually don't spit the bars after that, but you just give me the where you at. Because we both love a tribe called Quest. And by by the way, we can't recite the whole line right now because there's some stuff in there we just can't say. (laughs) But I was really intrigued by this. I was intrigued by that. Man. That's picture right there. I, okay, now that's a flex. That's a flex. I, I love, so I love that picture. So tell us the story. So I hey, was anniversary at, uh, of the low end theory. What's up? Yeah, so, you know, so I posted that. It was it was the anniversary, I guess the 30th anniversary of the low end theory dropping. Um, same day that Nirvana's Nevermind and uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic drop. Um, and that picture in particular came from a party. You know, it's when I realized, like, arguably, like, three of my top ten pictures came from that night with me wearing that suit because uh, uh, it was an Emmy after party, in, or not, or a Grammy after party in, uh, in Hollywood. And Beyonce was there. I got a picture of Beyonce. Uh, Philip Bailey and Earth, Wind & Fire were there. I got a picture of Philip Bailey. And Q-Tip was DJing. All right, you know it's a bouncing party when Q-Tip is your DJ. 
and he was on like a, a platform and you had to like climb a ladder to get up to the DJ booth. But I was like, I'm going up there and I'm going to holler at Q-Tip. Um, Cause I felt like me and him went back to 1991. Like I, I'd never met him before that, but that album, the low end theory was such a fixture in my life. So it came out in September. I, I bought it shortly thereafter. And I don't think it came out of my JVC, you know, hyper 3D, hyper bass box. <laughs> I don't think it came out for the rest of my senior year of college. That low end theory yeah, stayed yeah. in the JVC. And so because of it, I, I felt like I knew Q-Tip, even though I really hadn't met yeah. him before that point. But I was going to go up there, climb that ladder, get to that DJ booth and get my picture with Q-Tip. No doubt. I love no that. Doubt. Hey, I love it. I'm with you. I'm <laughs> Listen, with you. And, a, and we, we, we feel the same way. We feel the same way. Right, Mike? 100%. Gay, great to have you, man. Thanks so much for falling through. Let's do it again soon. I'm going to send you, like, both of you guys are, you know, just incredible with music. Um, I'm going to uh, both both find, kind of through of fine music. I'm going to send you this playlist on title. I sent it to Michael. It has... Uh, all the samples wow. of a tribe called Quest, and it's just just uh, to go I've back already, and hear how that. dude. Yeah, you got the playlist already. Uh, I mean, I, already oh, well, well, I got, somebody sent me one years ago. Somebody sent me, um, you know, the box or whatever. They sent it to me with with yeah. all the samples from uh, the Low End Theory. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, to go and, from and it's funny. I to, go, saw, to go to uh, go from what's what's the one average white band and Minnie Ripperton yeah. on Check the Rhyme is just like, come on, man. Like, who who does that? You know. And what's 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 the heat wave one that I, I, I was listening to? Um, they they sample it um, uh, in vibes, I think. And um, I, I was like, man, this is a beautiful song. And it like star, star I wouldn't story. have been exposed to is it. Star the story. What's that? Star the story. Yeah. Is it star and that the little story? guitar yeah. that they, yeah. they sample the guitar, but the whole yeah. song is just beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't have been exposed to this if not for Q-Tip and a tribe called Quest. Exactly. So like, like, thank you, exactly. thank you, Tip, thank you, tribe, for expanding what hip-hop is and expanding what is included in hip-hop and exposing us exactly. to all this great music that we wouldn't have listened to without that album. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, y'all. Ryan Tannehill, and they really got Sam Bradford, and that's what we're going to see next season. I cannot wait to see Sean McVay fall on his genius rump when he's got Matt Stafford there getting hurt in the pocket because he's no better in a clean pocket than Jared Goff is when he has to face real defenses, not that wow. Swiss cheese not out of Green Bay that he's been facing for 13 years. This is not an upgrade. This is a lateral move with an older guy who has a greater tendency to get hurt than Jared Goff. There is absolutely oh my no God. upgrade. It is it's one of the so toughest quarterbacks in the like, league. Usually, you got to go to Detroit to get robbed. They went to L.A., robbed somebody, <laughs> took it back home. <laughs> what? what? Ah, that, oh, that wow. was a good line. That was funny. Oh, that was funny. Wow. But that, <laughs> Matthew Stafford is no joke, Jason Johnson. So, <laughs> listen, you have a choice. You can come in here and you can double down. And I know it's not the playoffs. You could double down. You could move the goalposts, whatever it is you're going to do. I would hope, though, that you would actually find in your heart to say something nice about Matthew Stafford and the Rams. That was so dirty matter. to play that. That was so dirty to double even bring up. that out. First of all, why was that dirty? That was double nasty. Up.
You know what? You know what? I, I, I come here to get this kind of abuse. Uh, Y'all apparently have a relationship with old takes exposed. When, <laughs> when things I say are always brought back to my face in the most aggressive manner possible. But that's okay. That's okay. See, y'all think I'm blind to what the Rams are. I am not at all convinced. I, look, they're a good team. They got they got Deshaun Jackson now, who you know is occasionally going to he's going to get he's going to get hit for some taunting thing later on this year. I know it's going to cost them a game. They got Jalen Ramsey. They got Aaron Donald. They got the poor man's Jared Goff, Matt Stafford. They got all these things. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I am not moved by them beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at all. Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were never the best team in the league until they won the Super Bowl last year. They played mediocre throughout the year. I'm not all that well, shocked that, or impressed. That's the object of the exercise. Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, don't you want to exactly. be the best team and win a Super Bowl? <laughs> but, but, but see, here's the thing. Like, they never had the best record. They didn't win their division. So beating the bank, beating the Buccaneers in week three, they don't do nothing for me. They don't do nothing for me. I'm still not convinced. I'm still not a Rams believer. I'm still not a Matthew Stafford. He's I'm tripling down. You ain't doubling down. down. He's tripling down. He's coming down, Double and he's adding it. new hot takes. <laughs> adding, he's adding new I ones. I am going I, that, that bravado. I am committed. That bravado committed. is masquerading fear. Okay. Well, maybe you're not a believer in your Rams or in the Rams, yes. or maybe you just love to hate yes. on the Rams. Meanwhile, uh, you see how I'm saying looking all that strong these days. <laughs> I mean, the Titans you know won, what? you know, over time. You know, Titans are a good team. Minnesota? No, you, oh, we weren't letting you off the you hook. We was not letting you off the hook. We'll talk about congressional infrastructure if time permits. But we'll if the Seahawks were three we'll get there. You'll be, we'll you'll get to the be flexing right now. Let me let me let me let me be clear here about what is happening with the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm gonna share this video far and wide, as I always do. I never advocate for this. I never, ever do because I don't think it's fair that there's so much sort of racism, discrimination, hiring, and promotion that's going on in the NFL. But I got to say this. The Seahawks need to fire Ken Norton. They got to fire Ken Norton Jr. It is bad enough that Pete Carroll is supposedly a defensive-minded coach, and he's been getting bodied in ether for like the last three or four years, but they have gotten progressively worse under Ken Norton. And I'll tell you guys this. I, I remember the first time I heard this was like almost like 10 years ago, and I think it was uh, it was Tiki Barber talking about when they lost in the playoffs. And it was the first time I really heard a player say, we got out coach, we got out scheme. That is what you're hearing from cornerbacks on the Seahawks now. They're like, we got schemed to death. We, I mean, Trey Flowers like, we got out scheme. And that has been happening with Ken Norton for four years now. That eight-game stretch last season, it was nice. It was good. They weren't playing great quarterbacks, but they did, you know, reasonably well. But look, this is garbage now. And, and at this point, they're basically putting Russell Wilson in a position where even though he is leading the league in quarterback rating and efficiency and everything else like that, he's got to score on every drive for the team to win. So that's all. Can they turn it around? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quadruple double down. I'm going to say right here, right now, in this video, which you will throw in my face, that by week eight, week eight, I think the Seahawks will be a 500. I do believe that. I think they. I think they can get to four and four. Oh, I do believe they, that. Look, given that they got to oh, play oh the Rams God. and the oh, 49ers, let me, let me load up my guns. Like, oh, I mean, like, like did, you, right. did you just, did you just the build like, up set us up for the build up was so good. I'm gonna say this right now. They can win oh, as much as they lose. <laughs> that's 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 what it's come to, though. 
They're going to play the 49ers this week, and they got to play the Rams next week. Quite frankly, I mean, like, my, I'm going to be proven right or wrong within the next eight days. So I'm, I'm telling you, like, if they don't win, if they don't win at yeah. least one of those games, they can't possibly go for them. That's what I'm saying. I'm not giving up on my Hall of Fame quarterback yet for a retread in the Rams, for a guy who always gets hurt on the Arizona Cardinals, and for a guy who's constantly looking over his shoulder like 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 Ken Jennings looking at LeVar Burton when we talk about what's happened with Jimmy Garoppolo in 49ers. No chance. But let me let me let me ask you something about your Hall of Fame quarterback. Is your Hall of Fame right quarterback gonna look around and say, okay, wait, Brady won it the year after he left New England. Stafford might fool around and win it the year after he leaves Detroit. Is are y'all is the is the dysfunction in Seattle oh, specifically on defense that you described? We froze. Is that gonna oh, cost okay. y'all Russell Wilson? Oh, I said uh, is the dysfunction it, look, in Seattle gonna cost y'all Russell Wilson? A hundred percent. If they do not make the playoffs this year, he's gone. And he has every right to leave, and the team will absolutely collapse. There is ever since Paul Allen left, and again, I, I think there's there's gendered ways people are talking about this, but at the end of the day, when Paul Allen passed, it was his team. You know, his, his sister now runs the team. That wasn't her passion. Her passion isn't football. So she's not holding people accountable the same way that he would, right? It's like if my if, if some relative leaves me their their prize stamp collection, I don't know anything about stamps. I can still use them to send something off to send off Christmas cards or whatever. That's essentially what's happening with Seahawks right now. That's why nobody's holding Pete Carroll right. in check. And if they screw up this season, Russell Wilson has every reason to go. Although, to be perfectly honest, I don't think the Rams are going to make the Super Bowl this year. My Super Bowl is going to be the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, I appreciate that. So let me ask you something. Uh, Going back down memory lane with Seattle. You already had to deal with Sherm going to the 49ers. Now he is a buck. Uh, I think I saw somewhere where he needs a little bit more practice before he can hit the field. So we may not see Sherm as a co-star in this reunion in New England. But did that make you sick to your stomach? I mean, I'm happy to see the brother just back in the league. Yeah. Personally and professionally. But as a Seahawks guy, you're like, oh, man, he about to go get another ring before we do. You know, I, I, don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I, I'm like you. One, I was just happy to see Sherm be anywhere. For him to be in the mental, psychological, you know, physical condition that he could go play for anybody. Um but I never thought he was going to come back to Seattle. Like, people forget it. Most of these cats didn't like Russell Wilson, and they weren't happy with Pete Carroll. And if you have a chance as a 33-year-old cornerback who got burned more times in the s'mores in his last Olympics, I mean, sorry, in his last <laughs> Super Bowl, just kept getting burned, kept getting burned by Tyree Gidever and everybody else, why not join with the team that's coming off the Super Bowl that has a chance to go back? So I, I completely understand it. I also think, though, Worse than Sherman, who I never thought was going to come back to the Seahawks. You know the one that hurts me? Josh Gordon. Because Josh Gordon had a great relationship with the Seahawks. And because they are one and two and the defense looks like trash, he decided to go to Kansas City. Because if the Seahawks were playing to their potential, Josh Josh Gordon would have come back and they had a top three receiving core fantasy and otherwise in a league. But Sherm, hey, congratulations. And, And when they lose in the second round this year, uh, and don't make the <laughs> NFC Championship because they won't. You know, hey, he'll get some, he'll get some more money in his pocket. But he ain't, he ain't going to the Super got, Bowl because the Bucs ain't going to the Super Bowl. I got one more sports question uh, that I want to hit with you. Well, it's really societal, but it's really off of, um, it's off of something, something Holly said earlier. Uh, we've been talking the last couple of days about specifically 
uh, Kyrie, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Bradley Beal, um, the high-profile unvaccinated NBA players, even though 90% right. are vaccinated, okay? Can't stress mm-hmm. that enough. And 99% of WNBA players are vaccinated. But And then um, we got to a point yesterday we were discussing whether or not we were giving too much attention, too much energy, too much oxygen uh, to uh, these this vocal minority, right? Right. And, he, and then, but today, and I and I'll speak for Michael. You know, we have some technical difficulties. He'll be back with us as soon as possible. But I'll speak for Michael. He was like, "I'm exhausted." He, he said, "I'm exhausted with advocating for this vaccine at this point because it does feel right. like you're just kind of like talking to a brick wall or busting your fist against a stone wall." Where are you? I mean, you, you know, you're obviously very active on Twitter. You are in the in the in, in the political vortex, so you know how politicized this vaccine has been from the beginning, how this, how politicized this virus has been from the beginning. Where are you just personally in terms of educating or debunking some of these conspiracy theories, these these myths, uh, this misinformation that's just so present uh, in the national conversation about the vaccine? So there's a couple things. On that. I'm glad you guys asked, Mike, because this is, this is, I think, a key thing for especially the brothers and sisters out there who are, and I'm using that colloquial for a reason, who are, who are saying, I'm not taking the vaccine or I'm vaccine skeptical because I'm my own person, because I make my own decisions, because I can do my own research and everything else like that. And yet every single one of these people is allowing themselves to be used and manipulated and amplified by political, conservative, racist forces in this country that are always looking to harm African-Americans. And that is something that has always bothered me about the position most of these people are taking, whether it's Nicki Minaj spreading her misinformation and allowing herself to be amplified by Tucker Carlson, right? Or, or, mm-hmm. or Andrew Wiggins uh, or the player in Orlando who's like, yes, it, it's, it's God and country, Jonathan whatever Isaac. else, and allowing him to... Uh, did, you see, which, did you see... Uh, did you see... It's Jonathan Isaac in Orlando. Did you yeah. see uh, Ted Cruz today? Yes. Tweeting... Yes. In agreement with LeBron James and talking about, I got the yes. nerve to say my body, my choice. It's like, oh my God. Yes. I know LeBron. In a, state, he, he yeah. in a state that just made abortion illegal, right? Uh, so you got, you got Isaac down in Orlando being retweeted by Will Kane, who I respond to by saying, stick to politics. You were bad at that too. But hey, affirmative action happens for white men. Look, let's be clear <laughs> that these guys need to recognize, which they do in every other instance in their lives they need to recognize that you are a spokesperson. And if you have a decision that you want to make about the vaccine, then make it, but at least have the common sense and intelligence to say, but I'm not necessarily going to allow myself to become a pawn of other forces that otherwise don't care about black people, black lives, or health. So so that's, that's my larger how these guys are being used in public discourse. But I'll tell you guys this, and I completely understand where you're coming from. It was like, hey, I'm, you know, Michael was like, hey, I'm kind of exhausted on this. You're just like, you know, are we amplifying we, we feel the same way in politics all the time about Trump, right? Like, are we talking too mm-hmm. much about Trump voters or are we amplifying right, the fact right. that there are still dangerous people out there? I think with the rate of death that we still have from this pandemic, you still have, we're still losing almost 2,000 people a week. You know, it's essentially a 9-11 yeah. a week in deaths in this country. And this has been happening for a year and a half. And we got free vaccines. We got boosters coming out. We got the third season yeah. of the vaccine coming out. If folks still haven't watched the first one, haven't binged the first one, I don't think we can right. talk about this enough. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand it. And my uh, no, colleague I, of mine. And I that was, was me here. yesterday. Yeah. 
Well, I was, no, I was saying that was me yesterday. Oh, you were go ahead. I'm sorry, Jason. Go ahead. No, oh, so no, go ahead, former colleague of mine, Michael Harriet, just just tweeted this, and I thought I thought it was brilliant. Yep. Uh, he was like, he has that tweet with with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is now signed a new contract with Pepsi Max. He's like, how about a reporter ask Kyrie, hey, do you know what's in Pepsi Max? Because I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> More people have died no. from cholesterol and stuff from soda than any percent. No, because my because my thing yesterday, because I was like, no, I think we got to do it because Kyrie Irving, you know, he he'll probably he, it's gonna cost him seventeen million dollars if he doesn't play at home home games this year. Not to mm -hmm. mention the Nets' chances at a championship, right? Um, he'll probably end up getting vaccinated. All right, Andrew Wiggins right. has already had his religious exemption denied. He'll probably end up getting vaccinated. What's disturbing and discouraging is how many people those people speak for and speak to specifically in our community. So there are so many yeah. people that look at how a Kyrie stance or Wiggins stance or um, Bradley Beal stance and find validation and inspiration from like, see exactly, you know, free thinkers unite, you know, and so that's what I'm most concerned about. And then to your point about being used. You got Ted Cruz tweeting, I stand with Wiggins, Beal, and Kyrie Irving, right. and Jonathan Isaac. You know, he's saying that with his box office power, LeBron could even be more courageous. He should solve the problem by saying, I stand with my fellow players, and I won't play in any arena that bans another NBA player because they make a personal health care choice. Being used as a pawn in this culture right. war when what LeBron, if we want to edit LeBron, what he could have said, instead of being, being neutral, he said, hey, I'm not gonna tell anybody what to do, but I encourage people to get vaccinated and this is why I did it. It's, it's the best thing in my opinion. I'm not going to judge somebody else who doesn't, but in my opinion, so I mean, there's a way to still advocate for it without ostracizing your colleagues, which I think is what he was trying to avoid doing, but this might, this is probably not the moment for neutrality at the end of the day. No, 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 and I didn't like that from LeBron. I thought that was a really Weasley answer from someone who, is certainly smart enough on his own, let alone with his team behind him, to make a much more intelligent statement. Here's what's important about this. When you talk about LeBron, whether it was talking about China or anything else like that, when you say things like, I did my own research, you are automatically playing into the bad faith actors in our community. You're automatically playing into the right-wingers like Tucker Carlson, who encourage vaccine hesitancy, even though everybody at their network got vaccinated to go in and out of the building. Nobody is doing right. their own research. LeBron James did not sit down with a bunch of epidemiologists at a whiteboard and say, like, you know what, like this, okay, it's, this is almost right. like, a, like a defense. Of, no, but even if they do. are doing their own research, what research are they doing? Like, I, wait, right. let, let's show you work. Because, like, right. you have access to the best healthcare professionals, private and public yes. on the planet. You have everybody, yes. you have a way to find out what you want. The, the, the league and the teams are providing information. So you're just ignoring their research and instead going to YouTube University. Like what exactly Look, research are we talking about here? I am more inclined to believe that LeBron James could have been the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL. Had he joined the Seahawks in 2011. Okay. I believe that more than I believe that he actually sat down and did any research on anything that has to do with the vaccine. He asked people who know better than them, and he deferred to them because that's what any intelligent person does. It's the same reason that you go to the doctor and you ask about having a cold. And here's why what some of these players are saying is problematic and why it needs to be, like I said, and I agree with you, Michael, on this level, still focus on in this particular way. 
I don't care what kind of job you have. I, I, you know, my mom used to be a public school teacher. You know what they would tell you if you had a cold? Don't come to work. Okay, like if you're coughing right. and sneezing, don't come to work. If there's a chance that you can harm other people around you, I can play Damian Lillard's clip 12 times over because Damian Lillard's like, I don't know what the hell's in a lot of this stuff, but if it's going to keep me and my family safe, this is what we're going to do. And that's what I think is important. What, what's been strange to me, Michael, is you talk about what the, you know, the WNBA has 99% vaccinated, the NBA is only 90% vaccinated. I'm surprised, even though it's only 3% difference, I'm surprised more NFL players, more NFL mm -hmm. players are vaccinated than NBA players right now. And what's strange to me is in the NFL, you are actually less likely to affect somebody. You got, you got helmets, you got pads, you're really only in contact for a couple seconds during the play. Basketball, you rub it up and bang it up against somebody for two and a half hours. It's dangerous. Lock, locker room, weight room. Yeah, no, well, locker room, weight room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but I'm with you. You would think that you know the NBA because they've always been the more progressive and more out front right, league. Think. You would think that they would have their act together. I, just in general, when it comes to the culture war, Michael, and good to have you back. And I know you want to pivot to another topic. Good I to be back. The last thing. The, the thing that. The thing that just kind of just confuses me a little bit, and I, and we talked about it when the vaccine was being developed, about the mm -hmm. very real, legitimate, and understandable skepticism on the part of black people when it comes to anything that the government says or provides, right? Yeah, but at yeah. this point, there's just too much evidence to the contrary of your contrarian argument for it right. to be a situation where it feels like in order to get a vaccine card, you're turning in your black card. It's like, wait, guys, it's killed too many of us. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's done way yeah. too much damage to black people. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been on the front lines of, he's been saying what we want LeBron to say. You can't call it mm -hmm. the go to sheep. Uh, Michael, uh, what would you want? What you want to <laughs> say? Uh, what you want to move on to? I, I'm so glad I'm back. And you guys had a great conversation about this. Thank you, Doc, for having it. Because as I said earlier, I'm out. Okay, I've done my part. I have tried to encourage everybody I see. The technical difficulties to, were, were convenient for you, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I have spread. Like, hey, hey, as the Apostle Paul said, I've fought, I've fought the good fight. I've run the race, okay? Now it's time for my crown. Yeah. I, okay, well, listen, yeah. let me ask you this, though, because I'm really confused. I know you are all over it. You said you didn't really want it. You'd rather talk about the congressional hearings and, and the government <laughs> shutdown than talk about the Seahawks. We're going to talk about both. We talked about the Seahawks, but now the government shutdown. I'm confused. I'm under the impression that the Republican Party wants it. Explain that to mm -hmm. me. Is that accurate and why? Why, why do they want so the shutdown? The, the, the easiest way to understand it is that the, the Republican Party benefits whenever government looks dysfunctional. And in fact, quite frankly, if you're the out party, you always look good when the party controlling everything doesn't look like they know what they're doing. Because then all you got to do is run next year and be like, look at these idiots. They control everything and they still drove us into a ditch. So that is essentially the Republicans' attitude, right? Their whole attitude is like, hey, we're gonna, we're, we're just going to stand back and do it. Here's the catch. Are we going to have a government shutdown? I, I, I think it's highly unlikely. We play these silly brinkmanship games every three or four years or so. It's always the Republicans who say they don't want it. It's always the Democrats who say, we need your votes. They end up coming to some negotiation. I, I, I'm not... I'm not worried about the government shutting down in the middle of a pandemic. I'm really not. And actually, it will probably backfire on the Republicans if it did. The larger issue that I have is just pure common sense. And, and Michael, this is, this is essentially what you're talking about when you talk about how regular people look at this. 
yeah, I can be knee deep in the technicalities, but I've said the same thing no matter what, what network I happen to be on. The Democrats control the White House, they control the House, and they control the Senate. If you can't get something done, when you're controlling, look, if I'm the cook and the chef and the person going to the grocery store and the person who's primarily in the kitchen, if dinner sucks or if dinner's late, it's on me. And that's essentially what's happening right now. The Democrats are running everything, and they can't figure out how to do anything in their own kitchen. So whether that's going to be infrastructure or health care or the Voting Rights Act or the uh, George Floyd Policing Act, which basically died a quiet death last week, and they didn't do anything about it, that is what the Democratic Party is facing right now. They look like they can't get nothing done, even though they're running everything. And, and, and really, and I said this earlier, you know, what you saw, what you see with cinema and what you see with, with, with Joe Manchin right now, and they're like, I don't know if I want to do this, that, or the other. They're basically like your anti-vax NBA players, right? <laughs> they're sitting there. They can't tell you why they don't like what these bills are, but they say they don't like them. And I'm doing my own research. Well, what's your research? Well, I think it's too much money. Well, what's the money about? You ain't got no answer. And the problem is that the president of the United States is treating them in a, it, with kid gloves when he really should be treating them like the NFL has treated players. The NFL's like, you know what? You don't want to do it. We're going to move on without you. We're going to find the hell out of you. We're going to find your team. If you fight to forfeit games, that's going to happen. That's what Democrats should be doing right now to Cinnamon and Manchin. But instead, they're like, here, take the ball, and uh, can you please come back at some point, maybe sort of play? Here's my last thing for you. Is Donald Trump so petty that you, you, I start off that way? You say yes. Yeah, okay, like, you know, the answer, I don't even know what yes. the question is. The answer is yeah. yes. But is Donald Trump so petty that he would endorse Stacey Abrams because he's mad at <laughs> Brian Kemp? Hey, would he actually? What do you actually do that? <laughs> Let me tell y'all. That's I just, hilarious. I, I actually reached out to Stacey about it. I'm waiting for her. <laughs> I actually reached out to her on this specifically. I was like, what kind of what what kind of magic <laughs> did you spend over this? Because just the clip alone, just the clip alone of, of Trump saying that. Yes, he is that petty. Yes, he is that mean. Yes, he is that venal. And yes, Brian Kemp is that unpopular. I mean, quite frankly, the only way that Brian Kemp could win re-election next year, and look, we have to be fair and honest and, and everything else like that. Stacey Abrams has not announced that she's running for governor yet. Now, <laughs> we, we, we think it's highly likely that she will run for governor, but she has not made an official announcement. But the only way that Brian Kemp would beat her in the fall of 2022 is by cheating. That's the only way, because even Republicans in that state don't like him. Trump don't like him. The Secretary of State doesn't like him. Your regular Republicans don't like him. Uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't like him. He doesn't really have much of a chance. His only chance is through cheating, and the only way he can get away with the cheating is if they don't pass the, uh, uh, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which will only happen if you can't get any changes to the filibuster, which is what the problem is with Joe Manchin right now, who's still got the ball and still running into a wall. <laughs> hey, man, this was a... Uh... This was this was a three and zero segment. This is a very uh, L.A. Rams type segment. It was not yeah, a one and two conversation wow. with you. Wow! And wow. Uh, you looking what? forward I'm, to uh, seeing if what I'm going to hit you guys with this. I got to hit you with this. Of all the teams that are one and two right now, we got the Seahawks are one and two. We got the Steelers who are one and two. We got the Kansas City Chiefs are one and two. Y'all don't believe that any of those teams are going to miss the playoffs, do you? Yeah, I mean, come on. Like the Steelers I don't think will. Steelers. I think the, I think yeah, the bottom I, I falls the off Steelers for the Steelers. By, I think the bottom yeah, falls well, off for the Steelers. I think it fell out. I think it already yeah, fell okay. out for the yeah. Steelers. Yeah. yeah. Ben, ben, yeah. Okay. Ben is done, and he's he's always been a bad lead. But like I'm, I'm like I said, I have I have the utmost confidence, and I can't wait. 
I can't wait to see this video in week 12. I want to see, because I know you will bring this back in week 12. I cannot yes. wait to see the Seahawks, yes. some shape, or form, turn this around. Turn this around. So you're going so so you to pat yourself on the back for 500. So you be like, I told you they'd be 4-4. Four four. I told you. <laughs> exactly. That's what we do. You going to get a t-shirt for that? I'm going to go. You going to throw a parade for 4-4? Four four? My DK Metcalf Funko Pops. I'm, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? When that happens, I'm going to literally, I'm going to get on this chair and I'm going to twerk like CR. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, you're going to do what? No, thanks. You're going to no, do what? No, no. Because you won't be doing it like CR. No, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to look like that. So, we're good. I don't, I don't have we're those good. kind of needs. I don't have those kind of needs. But, yeah. We'll see. It's yeah, like no, a We're all set. Good. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's good to see you, Doc. No, we're good. We don't need to see that much of you. We, but it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah. We Thanks, got our guys. team. We got our team already. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Good. All right, Doc Johnson. See you. Always the best. Man, we're not going to push the panic button. What do I mean by the panic button? You know, we're not going to dramatically change who and what we are at this juncture. Uh, we're not resistant to change for the purposes of getting better, but we're not going to be so unsteady that we move away from our compass, the identity that we worked hard to develop and will continue to work hard to develop and, and the emphasis on a style of play, whatever that may be in all three phases. Hey, Mike, I, I probably spend an unhealthy amount of time on, on, on Instagram, not posting, just scrolling. Yeah. And I even have the alarm where my phone says, you spent 30 minutes on Instagram today. I'm like, damn, but then I got to keep scrolling. And, and honestly, it's a good Those source fast. for Those me for, for news more than anything, uh, yeah. you know, just to kind of keep track of what's happening throughout the day. Uh, I just want to draw more attention um, to this post then it's already received because it's the best thing I saw yesterday on social media or the internet in general. We spent a lot of time talking about quarterbacks and one wins and losses and and Super Bowls and championships and whether or not a guy is the is the long term answer at quarterback and the quarterback carousel or musical chairs. Listen to this. This is from Justin Simmons, one of the best uh, safeties in the league, Denver Broncos. I have a small story to share from Sunday's game. After every game, home or away, a group of players from both teams come together to say a prayer at midfield. It's my favorite thing about game day on Sunday. Giving thanks and praise to God, win or lose. Well, after the game was over, I was asked to do an interview talking about the big win. Once the interview was over, I immediately looked behind me toward the 50-yard line, nervous that I had missed the prayer, and I did. However, Teddy Bridgewater was there waiting and told me, Jay, I got you, man. I know you didn't want to miss this, and started praying. There is a reason God brings people in your life depending on what season of your life of life you're in. Teddy didn't know. I never told him, but I needed that prayer. I share this story as a reminder that God is always for you. His timing is perfect and resting in that is fulfilling. God bless you all. Hashtag Team Jesus. God only knows how many people he touched with this post, but I just want to talk specifically about like Teddy Bridgewater. We all know his journey, the catastrophic injury in Minnesota the teams that he's jumped around from the Jets to the Saints to the Panthers and now the Broncos since. The, Bron the Panthers decided he wasn't for them. Moved him on to Denver and he was in competition with Drew Locke and if Denver had its way, it probably would have either Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson. 
Instead, it has had to settle for Teddy Bridgewater. And some things, man, are just bigger mm. than oh wins Woo. and losses, bigger than the final score, bigger than whether or not you contended for championships. Teddy Bridgewater is winning souls. Teddy Bridgewater is doing God's work while he is playing quarterback exceptionally well, by the way. What's he at? 78%? Something like that? Playing quarterback. Yeah, 77%. 77%. Yep. For a 3 0 Denver Broncos team. So I just thought that was just so beautiful. Uh, we spent yeah. a lot of time talking about nonsense and, and, and trivial matters uh, when it comes to quarterbacks and credit and too much blame. It's like this dude is one of the most popular players in the NFL for a reason. And Justin Simmons post just confirms it. Let you further know that Teddy Bridgewater, man. he may not be the man long term in Denver, Woo. but Teddy Bridgewater is most definitely that dude. Man, you have been on point, not the entire show, because your whole Belichick Brady doesn't matter to either one of them. That take, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was a little off. Yeah. That was a little off. That went off roading. But man, yeah. other than that, this is your uh, this is your double nickel game, man. You at Madison Square Garden, and you do, and you go and you go throw an assist there. You go throw an assist at the end, just to win it. Look, you're so on point, Mike. You have no idea how God has used you bringing up this story and confirming something I was praying about earlier. This is crazy. This is crazy. Look, I was praying. I prayed earlier and I said, you know, and, and somebody was on my heart. So there was somebody uh, in my family. They're on my heart. They're on my heart. They're on my heart. I said, you know what? I need to reach out to them. And as I was thinking about reaching out to them, I had the same thought. Like God is, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm reaching out to them. God has, has placed this person on my heart, and that's how God works. Like they, I'm, I'm reaching out. I don't know why. Something's gonna, something good is gonna happen, uh, and, and it is, it is so much larger than me. Uh, and, and so I think these things happen all the time. It happens on a football field. It happens uh, in, a, in a laundromat, in a grocery store, wherever it is. Like yeah. this is this is how this is how people are used. And I remember one of the best things we talked about Russell Wilson earlier clowning Doc Johnson. But I remember Russell Wilson said something uh, that was very simple but very profound. When he thanked God for victory, I think it was after they beat the Packers uh, in the uh, NFC Championship game or NFC NFC Division yeah, round. Packers should have won that. the game. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Rodgers said onside kick. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Rodgers said. I don't think God cares about a football game. That right. comment was brought to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson said very, and not in a bitter way. He said, I think God cares about anything that involves God's people. <laughs> and I thought it was a perfect answer. And it's right. Yeah. And I, I, I think maybe that's part of sometimes believers need to hear that too, because they get to the point of thinking, oh, this is just this little thing I'm going through. All I'm doing is playing basketball. All I'm doing is it's painting a picture. Yeah. All I'm doing is delivering the mail and you just got to know no matter what you're doing, it does have value. And as the post said, yeah, God's got you. I love it. Yeah, I, 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 for me, it was it was cool because it's like, again, Teddy Bridgewater getting traded, I think for a six round pick if memory serves um, yeah. after a year in Carolina, you know, it's like it just was a reminder that like you're right where you're supposed to be. You know, we spent a lot of time you know, running Ooh, this race, boy. feeling like we're falling short, 
feeling like we're not where we want to be, feeling like we're lagging behind. We don't, we, we have, you know, social media is the worst. Look, there, there's the, there's the notification right there. <laughs> social media is the worst because it don't, you know, it's like it, 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 you're supposed to be running this race with blinders on. Here's Teddy Bridgewater. Who knows how long he's in Denver? Who knows what they do this year? But he's doing something. And he's right where he needs to be, not just for, for, for his benefit, but for somebody else's. He is walking in his purpose and acting in his purpose as quarterback of the Denver Broncos. And you know, what? you know what, Mike? And we, we talked about this uh, earlier. You know, maybe this is why when I said to you, Teddy Bridgewater has been on five different teams. This is his fifth team. And he's only, mm -hmm. I think he's 28. Mm -hmm. Part of it is we always look at it in a sports context. Man, you're a journeyman quarterback. You're just bouncing from team to team. Yeah. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater has been on all these different teams to touch people uh, all over the NFL from, from truly from, it's from added coast to, to his coast. testimony. So 100 yeah. percent. And if you know anything about right. those journeyman backup quarterbacks, a lot of them are incredible people. <laughs> so now that you mention it, you know what I mean? And men of faith. That's the only way you're able to survive all that uh, movement and thrive. But no, I mean, I'm happy for that brother. He's been through a lot. And yeah. uh, I appreciate Justin Simmons posting that because uh, that spoke to me yesterday. So all right, man, we'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah man, you got just you had the jumper working today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.